Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. Uh, The way I want to start out is, how many of you here today, you like that movie, Back to the Future? How many of you like Back to the Future? Yeah, it's a great movie. And, And one of the reasons why I like Back to the Future is because I like the idea of time travel, right? Like, I like the idea of being able to go back and, and observe people. And because you know you can't interact with people or kill anything like a bug because that'll just set off the whole, you know, world and it'll be a different timeline and all of that. Like, I love the idea of just being able to go back in time and just observe people. Wonder what are they thinking? What are they going through? And so with that kind of in mind, I want us to kind of travel back in time to the 1800s. And in the 1800s, people at this time believed in something called spontaneous generation. And and what they believed was that um, if you got a disease or a sickness, it basically came out of nowhere. It was because of maybe some sin in your life or because God was angry with you and, and you were out of his will. Now, of course, we know that that's not necessarily the case. We know this because there's a man named Louis Pasteur, and he came along in the 1800s, and he said there's no such thing as spontaneous generation, but there are these little invisible things called germs and bacteria, and these things are alive, and they're powerful even though we can't see them. And these little invisible things are controlling our very visible world that we live in. Now, some doctors caught on to what he was saying, and they were like, okay. And so they started practicing safer medicine. They started washing their hands and doing other things to, to be safe. Other doctors looked at him and like, you're crazy. They're like, you mean to tell me that there's these little invisible particles just floating through the air who are on the surface that we can't see, and they're controlling us, and they're controlling the world that we do see. They're like, you're a crazy man. There's no way that this is possible. Now, we know that this isn't just a theory. We know this is a fact because we have these things called microscopes. And they show us these bacteria and these germs. They show us these very tiny things that we cannot see with our eyes. But when we look through a microscope, we see these invisible things and how they impact our very visible world. See, the Bible talks about money in a similar way. We think money is something we use, but the Bible teaches us that there's more to it than what we see. It's something powerful. It controls our worldview. It controls our attitudes. It controls our relationships. It can control everything about us. And you don't see it even though it's right in front of your face. And if you don't recognize it, it won't be you using money, but money using you. See, the way that you and I relate to money specifically is influenced by our spiritual life. Jesus talked about this in many profound ways. Long before Louise Pasteur talked about spontaneous generation, Jesus had very profound things to say. He said, the way that you and I relate to him, the way that you and I relate to God as our father, it's not spontaneous. The way that you and I spend our money, it's not random, it's not disconnected, but it changes everything and impacts everything about us, even though we can't see it on the surface. Jesus said the way that you and I spend money is a microscope to our hearts. That if you want to know the condition of your heart, you should evaluate the way that you interact with and relate with money. And so the title of today's message is Money, the Microscope to Our Heart. Money, the Microscope to Our Heart. And what we're going to do is we're going to read Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 19 through 24 today. And then we're af- after we kind of get this overview, what we're going to do is we're going to break it down into three sections. We have three ideas for us today. So let's read Matthew chapter 6, 
Verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus, when he talks about the heart, he's talking about the deepest parts of who we are. And if you want to see the invisible nature of your heart, the things that you cannot see, Jesus says, hop on the microscope of money, and that will show you what you believe and what you love. See, what Jesus is getting at is that our relationship with money matters more than we might think that it matters. Now, I know last week we talked about how many of us came to church not really wanting to talk about money, right? Like we've got relationship issues. We've got things going on in our life. You know, there's uncertainty in our life. There are things going on around us and to us. And we're like, really, pastor, that's what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about money? That's the most important thing? But when you read the New Testament, Jesus talks about money over and over and over again. Jesus talks about money not as something that's, well, you know, kind of dangerous. Jesus talks about it as very dangerous. Something that money can become the source of security and significance in our life. Money will replace Jesus as that source of significance and security in our life. Now, when Jesus talks about money, the way that we view money, the way we relate to money, the way that we use money, the way that we give money, spend money, save money has everything, is, is a microscope to our hearts and what we treasure the most. See, we said this last week too. Jesus doesn't want to be part of our life or Lord of parts of our life, but he wants to be Lord of all of our life, which means he has access to every part of our life. Jesus knew that money is a powerful rival to him being Lord of our life. So let's look a little bit closer at what Jesus has to say and how we are to deal with money. And the first thing is that money does not equal security. Money does not equal security. Look at what it says in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor, moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. First thing that Jesus does when he's talking about money is he's letting us know of the temporary nature of it. That you could store up as much as you possibly can. And no matter how much money you have, you won't feel real security. Now, the illustration Jesus uses in this text is of moth and rust destroying things and thieves coming in and breaking in and stealing it. And I think what Jesus wants us to know is that something can always happen to our money. That money doesn't bring security in our lives. I mean, how many of us have thought, man, if I could just pay off my debt, then I would feel secure. Or if I could just make twice as much than what I have right now, then I would feel secure. Here's the reality for all of us in this room right now. We are all one phone call away from our lives turning upside down. 
I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care how much money you have in your bank account right now. All of us are one phone call away from our lives completely turning upside down. And no matter how much money you have, you cannot turn your life right side up. Jesus says that money does not bring real security. But we all have this tendency to want to grip onto our things. And we think that our money will give us security. But our money and our stuff will give us a false sense of security. Jesus says and is telling us that treasures on earth, they are temporary. There's no security in them. They will be destroyed, moth rust, or they'll be stolen from us. Now, I don't know about you. If you've ever had something stolen from you, I can think back in a time in my life when uh, I had stuff stolen from me. I was a freshman in college when this happened to me. And it was at the time I was living at my parents' house. And my parents, we, we lived in great neighborhoods. Our house was always secure. Like I had no reason to think, man, my house is insecure. We, we, we should be careful. No, we always lived in a very safe neighborhood. And so I always just had a lot of security when we got home. But I remember I was out playing golf with some of my friends and I came home. And as I entered the front door, you know, like sometimes when you enter your house, you're kind of like, something feels a little off. I remember I entered the front door and I, I went, something just feels off right now. And I looked in our back door, we had this um, glass back door and it was completely shattered in. And I thought, that's a little odd. Like, you know, and, and of course nobody was home at the time. I'm the first one home. And so, you know, nothing's really registering like this is a bad thing. And I just went, well, let me put my stuff down. I'll investigate this here in just a minute. And I go to my room and I'm like, why are all my drawers pulled out? Why is my stuff on the floor? Where are my electronics? And that's when it dawned on me, I had been broken into. All my stuff had been stolen from me. I felt a lot of emotions that day. I felt violated. You know, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't feel secure. And I think a lot of us, we could all go in this room, we could share stories about how we felt secure, how we really felt like we were stable or we found security in something, but then for one reason or another, all of a sudden that was ripped from us and we didn't feel secure anymore. And maybe for you, you're here today and you go, yes, I understand, money does not equate security. But maybe you're here and you think, well, if I have enough money, then I'll be happy. And I think we've all bought into that statement one time or another. If I just had a little bit more, then I could buy that, which makes me happy. And I don't know what it is for you, but maybe you think, well, if I just had more money, if I, if I could just buy a, a new car, I'm tired of a used car. Let me get a new car. Let me get a truck. You know, let me, let me get a car with a sunroof. Then I'd be happy. Maybe it's if I, if I just got a bigger house, if I got a house with some land, if I got a third car garage, then I'd be happy. Or maybe if I, if I got that membership or if I could get that furniture or if I could buy these things, then I would be happy. You could get more and more and you're still gonna want more and more. The reality is no matter how much money you have, God is going to bring you lasting joy and security. I talked about this last week, that the rich line is always moving. Even when you think, oh, I finally got the money that I think would make me rich, we realize that it's only in front of us again, that we just need more to be rich. We always want more because money doesn't provide happiness and security. Only God provides real joy, happiness, and security through his son, Jesus. And so if you're here today and you think that money is going to make you happy or secure, it won't. 
I mean, all we have to do is look at the last few years and we get a pretty clear picture that money does not bring us security. Money does not bring us happiness, right? Because if you put your trust, your hope, your happiness, your security, anything of outside of Jesus, that all got shaken in the last two years. The financial system got shaken. The job market got shaken. Our retirement funds got shaken. Everything in the last few years, if you put your trust in anything outside of Jesus, it's all got shaken. And what Jesus is telling us is don't allow your happiness and your security to be found in the things of this world. Instead, redirect your treasuring and store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So how do you store up treasures in heaven? What's what we're talking about? Lord, God is not just Lord of part of our life, like hands off the money, God, but he's Lord of all of our life. And so we're looking for ways to be generous. We're looking for ways to give. But treasure is so much more than money. It's taking care of the poor. It's taking care of the needy, the widowed. It's taking care of our neighbors. It's taking care of people in our groups. It's, people, it's taking care of people in our church. Here's what it is. It's loving people more than loving our stuff. Those kinds of treasures can't be shaken and can't be taken. I believe one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to see all the lives that God has changed. And we're going to look at all that and we're going to go, man, I really wish that I would have just invested a little bit more. I wish I would have spent a little less time doing this over here or pursuing my career or pursuing these things over here. I wish I spent a little bit more time investing in the kingdom of God. I believe that. And I think what Jesus is doing here in Matthew 6 is he's contrasting, not critiquing, treasuring. Making sure that we're storing up treasures in heaven. Another challenge for us when it comes to money is that money is deceptive. That's our second thought for today. That money is deceptive. Jesus says this in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of your body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, when we read these verses, we could get a little confused. We could get a little lost because when Jesus is using terms like light and dark, he's speaking about our ability to see and our ability to perceive things. Because Jesus is talking about our eyes being the lamps of our body. He's talking about whatever we're looking at is illuminating our soul. And people in this day, when Jesus was teaching this, they would have completely understood what Jesus was talking about. When Jesus is talking about our eyes being a lamp or a light to our body or that our eyes are kind of like a window to our soul. What Jesus is wanting to make sure we understand is that whatever you look at is what you treasure. We could say it this way. Whatever has your gaze will have your grasp. Now, when Jesus teaches about darkness, what he's getting at is that in the dark, you can't see. You can't perceive things the way that they are. I mean, if we turned out all the lights in here, we would not be able to see. We wouldn't be able to see in front of us. And Jesus is like, if your eyes are dark, you're not seeing things clearly. You're not only just seeing your money incorrectly, you're also seeing your entire life not clearly. Money has this power to blind us. And last week, we talked about how we are rich, We're living in a very rich America. We live in one of the wealthiest countries in all of the world. And because of that, we fail to see how rich we really are. 
fact, this week I read that there's a, a little bit over 7 billion people who live on planet Earth. 3 billion of those people make $2 a day. Now, I don't know about you, but when I went to Dutch Brothers the other day, Dutch Bros, however you want to say it, I, I spent more than $2 on my peach iced tea. Like, I love that peach iced tea. I spent more on that than what most people make in a day. If you look at your coffee habits, you probably realize, man, I spent more on coffee yesterday than what most people make in a day. If you went to the movies this week, you spend more money on popcorn and candy and drinks than what most people make in a week. If you have a job today, I guarantee you, you made more than $2. And so that puts us in a certain percentile. That puts us in a rich percentile. In fact, it went on to say that if you came to church today and you drove a car, that puts you in the top 15% of wealthiest people. After service today, you're likely going to then drive that car to go to a restaurant where they would have fed, raised, slaughtered, harvested food for you, prepared it the way that you like it. They'll come and serve you. They'll really fill your drinks over and over and over again. And then once you're done, you'll be able to get up from that table. Somebody else will have to clean up those dishes for you. And you'll drive your car into a closet known as garages. And you'll park your car there. Because we are rich. And money deceives us into thinking that we aren't rich. Money blinds us. And money makes us feel like we don't have enough. Again, I'm not here trying to minimize anybody's financial situation. I understand. Things are tight. Our money doesn't stretch like it used to. But in the bigger picture, I want you to follow me with this. In the bigger picture, we are rich. And we have this appetite to want more and more. And yet our appetite is never satisfied. There's never going to come a point in your life where you're like, oh, finally, I have everything I need. I'm finally satisfied. It won't happen. We live with this blindness, with this deception that money is doing something or something that we don't struggle with, when in so many ways we do struggle with money. So when it comes to being generous, many of us think, well, once Biden pays off my student loans, then I'll be generous. You know, once I get that job, then I'll be generous. Once I get that raise, once I get my tax refund, then I'll be generous. No, you won't. You've been saying that for the last five, six, seven, eight years. We struggle so much to see ourselves accurately when it comes to money. It's because money is deceiving. Jesus has given us some very sobering words here. Now, this isn't meant to make us feel bad about our lives, about enjoying life. I mean, even Jesus said that he came to bring life and life to the fullest. And so God isn't trying to be this cosmic killjoy or this downer when it comes to money. But I believe what he's doing here in Matthew chapter 6 is he's giving us a warning. I believe God is trying to warn us about what we are treasuring. He's wanting to make sure that we're not treasuring our stuff, treasuring our houses, our cars, our memberships, the things that we have. I think he wants us to know if you want to enjoy life to the fullest, make sure you're treasuring and prioritizing the most important things. Make sure that you're, that you're enjoying life to the fullest by, by heeding this warning of Jesus and storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Here's the last thought for us today. It's that money, the love of money, is dangerous. The love of money is dangerous. 
people will often say, well, you know, the Bible says money is the root of all evil. It's not right. Money is not the root of all evil. Jesus had money. He didn't have a lot, but he had some money. He had a guy who carried a money purse. He had an accountant. He had a treasurer that would follow him. So money is not the root of all evil. It says in, in the Bible, it says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is incredibly dangerous. It's the source of all kinds of trouble and evil. Listen, wealth is morally neutral. There's nothing wrong with money, possessions, or possessing money. However, when money begins to control us, that's when it can become a bad thing. In fact, look at what it says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. See, what Jesus wants us to know and what he, he, he wants us to understand is that our affection, our devotion will either be toward God or it'll be to money, but it cannot be to both. The love of money is dangerous. I think most of us would say, well, you know, Nate, I don't serve money. But I would argue rather gently that if you bought something you didn't need with money you didn't have to impress people you didn't like, then you might be under the influence, the power of money. If you've ever compromised your integrity, cheated on an expense report, cheated on your taxes, you might be under the influence, the power of money. If you're planning a trip to Disney World with your family and your 16-year-old son, you say, well, you're 11 this time because you know kids 12 and under get in a lot cheaper at Disney World. Sure, he shaves, but, you know, he's 11, right? You might be under the power and influence of money. If you've ever neglected your family to try to earn more money, then I would argue that you're under the power of money. You're under the, in, the illusion that more money is going to bring you more meaning. And what happens when we do this? Money becomes a false god, and it promises things only God can provide. I've heard this verse illustrated this way, that water and money are, or that money is like water to a boat. Water is useful to a boat, right? Like it helps sailors sail and get from one place to another. But if water gets in that boat and it's not immediately pumped out, what's going to happen to that boat? It's going to sink. It's going to drown. Money is like water. Money is useful. It's convenient for us to sail through our journey in life. It makes things more comfortably. It's better to have it than without it. But if money gets into our hearts... If riches get into our hearts, then we can be drowned by them. See, the love of money is dangerous. God wants something for all of us, not from us. And, and I think it's really important that we understand that phrase because God owns everything. Psalm 24 even says it this way. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. See, God doesn't need anything from you, but he wants something for you. And there is a danger that money has to function as an idol in our life. I mean, what is an idol? An idol is anything that we would make as ultimate as king in our life. An idol is anything that you go to for significance and security. Anything could be an idol. Your job could be an idol, your car, your house, your kids, your spouse, 
All those things and, and more can be idols. There could be many idols in our lives, and we have to learn to live with those kinds of things that are always trying to compete to become number one, to become an idol in our life. We need to make sure that God stays number one in our life. We need to stay vigilant to make sure that other things don't become idols in our life. We need to make sure that we prioritize that God is number one so that we can be healthy and do things that glorify God. Now, in order for us to be generous people, in order for us to do what God wants us to be, we need to do a couple of things. And so this week, this is how we're going to practically walk out this message. Now, if you're a note taker, this is a great time for you. If you're not a note taker, you should become one right now because this is your homework. This is how you apply this message. I want to give you two things. Super easy. The first one is evaluate where you are. You need to evaluate where you are. It's impossible for you to grow in how you view and use money if you're ignorant to how you view and use money. So how do you evaluate where you are? Well, it's very simple. Just go through your bank statements, your credit card statements, and see what you're spending on money, and does it match up with your values? I heard an old preacher say this, that in America, where we claim to be a Christian nation, we spend more money on dog food than we do the mission of God the kingdom of God. Think about that for just a second. It's a very, now, now this isn't a slap at my furry friends. Listen, I love dogs, right? Like, you know me, I love dogs. Cats I'm iffy on, but dogs I really love. But think about how profound of a statement that is. That as a Christian nation, as people who would call themselves followers of Jesus, we spend more money on dog food. You can replace dog food. Spend more money on coffee. Spend more money on clothes. We spend more money on what? Than we do the kingdom, the mission of God. What does that say about our priorities? So we need to evaluate where we are. What am I spending my money on? And does it reflect the value that I say I have in my life? Here's the second thing. We need to take a step of faith. We need to evaluate where we are. We need to take a step of faith. For some of us, we need to take a step of faith and give. Now, I just want to say, if I've been looking your direction, this sermon, it's not because I'm like, you could give a little bit more, you know, or I know you're not giving. Listen, I don't see the, the amounts people give. I'm not seeing um, who's giving how much or anything like that. So I'm not giving you the stink eye. Don't be awkward with me later when you're leaving. Like, hey, let me make sure the pastor sees me. Put something in one of the boxes in the back, you know. Don't shake my hand with, a, with some money and then go and see, I give, I'm generous. You know, don't be awkward with me. I, I, I know that we are a generous church. I know that we have people giving. I, I, the, only, the, the one thing that I do do is I write a letter or a card thanking you for giving if you've given for the first time. And that's, that's what I do. And I don't keep names and going, okay, they gave and how much did they give? No, I don't, I'm not keeping, I don't have records. The person you need to worry about is Pastor Dennis over here, all right? <laughs> He's the one who will give you the stink eye, all right? That's the one you want to avoid, okay? Now, if you know Pastor Dennis, you know it's a joke. He's not going to give you the stink eye, all right? But I don't know that. But, but for many of us, we need to take a step of faith. And the question you might be thinking, well, how much do I give? Is giving an Old Testament principle, is it even in the New Testament? See, when it comes to New Testament giving, in my opinion, it's generosity, and I think so often we get caught up in, what is it, 2, 5, 10%, you know? 
Is it off the gross? Is it off the nets? Like, like what do we give? Here's, here's what I want you to do this week. Here's your action step with this one. Talk to God about how much you should give. Talk to him. Ask him, God, how can I be generous? Listen, the will of God for your life when it comes to generosity will not be found on a calculator. You need to talk to him. You need to ask him, how can I be more of a generous person? And listen, this is what I love about what I get to do. I'm the messenger here. So I'm just telling you, hey, this is what God's word has to say. When God tells you the number, guess what? It's gonna make you feel uncomfortable. You're not gonna like it. And guess what? You can't be mad at me. Yeah, your beef's with God. He's the one who's telling you to be generous anyways, right? But you need to talk to God about it. Now, if you're looking, hey, I need a starting point. Listen, I'll tell you what Jen and I do. And again, this is a description. This isn't a prescription. This is me describing to you what to do, not telling you what you should do. You need to talk to God about that. He'll tell you a number and it will make you feel uncomfortable. But for Jen and I, we give 10% of what we make right back to the church and then we pay our bills, and then we do everything else that we possibly can. And then we, of course, we try to save. Now, with whatever's left over, we're always looking for ways to be generous outside of that. We sponsor a a compassion child. Our kids might hear something that's going on at the school, or, you know, we might hear of a disaster, a natural disaster or something going on, like even the stuff with the Ukraine. Like we, we look for ways to be generous outside of our tithe. We don't make our tithe go to those things. We tithe, and then we look to go above and beyond that. That's our generosity. That's what we do. Again, I don't know the number or the formula that the Lord's going to speak to you this week, but go before the Lord in prayer and say, God, help me evaluate where I am. And God, help me to take a step of faith. There's a story in, in the Bible that I just love, and it's when Jesus is walking on the water. And, and Peter says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come out of this boat, and I'll walk on water, and I'll be there right with you. And so Jesus says, well, come on, Pete, let's go. Let's hang out here on the water. That's my translation, of course. And so Peter steps out of the boat, and he starts walking on water towards Jesus. It's a scary place for him to be. He's never walked on. I don't know about you. I've never walked on water. He's walking on water. That's a scary place. But then Peter starts looking all around and he starts to sink. And what the Bible tells us is that Jesus reaches down immediately and he grabs and he saves Peter. Now, here's what's so cool about this story. Jesus called Peter to obedience and Peter obeyed. Jesus calls us to obedience. And for some of us, we need to take a step of faith. We need to step out of our boats. We need to step out of our boat of security, of comfort, of our, our, well, I could do all of this on my own, or I'm building my own kingdom here on this earth. We need to take a step of faith out of that boat. And as Peter walked on water, we need to walk in generosity. And listen, it's going to be scary, especially if you've never done it before. And the reality is there's going to be waves of doubt that are going to come crashing in on your life, but Jesus will meet you right where you are and he will grab hold of us because we are obeying him. And maybe you're here today and you feel like Peter, like you feel a little guilty because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. You know, maybe, maybe in the last couple of years, you just realized, man, I, I stopped giving. I stopped trusting God. You know, the tithe, by the way, just means returning what is already God's. And so you've just taken your eyes off of Jesus because you're like the climate, the uncertainty, all the things. I just need to hold on to everything that I've got. 
I'm going to trust in myself that I'm going to see myself through. And so maybe today you've just taken your eyes off of Jesus. And what you need to do is you need to let go. Stop grasping onto what you have and let go and be generous. Get your eyes back on Jesus. And, and, and Jesus will meet you right where he's at or right where you're at. He'll grab you and he'll walk with you through this. Ultimately, here's what God is looking for, us to take steps of obedience toward him. See, what's cool about this story is there's other disciples in that boat. And we rag on Peter all the time. We're like, Peter, what a loser. Like he sank in water, you know? But he was the only one to take a step of faith out of that boat and walk towards Jesus in obedience. Let's be people who walk in obedience and obey God and what he has commanded us to do. Being generous people. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.